You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the book of Revelation at home, and we're in the book of Ezekiel at home. And so it gives me a time for me to share something uh, that is so important. Uh, Criticism. How do you handle criticism? How do you respond to criticism? Now, don't tell me, well, I I take it very well. You're a liar. (laughs) Nobody likes to be criticized. Especially if you were raised without a father like me. Oh, don't tell me what to do. So criticism is something that we uh, innately were born to abhor criticism. Even correction, when someone corrects you, it just hits you. And, 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 and you realize that in life, a humble man will always admire and invite correction. Someone said, a man learns from his mistakes. But I believe that a man learns much, much better from someone else's mistakes. I agree with that. And so I realized that as I got married to my wonderful wife, beautiful wife, I realized that we're going to live happily ever after. We're not going to have problems at all. You see, she loves me. I love her. We're not going to have any problems at all. The first day of our marriage, we had a confrontation. (laughs) She's criticizing me. And I began to, tit for tat, I began to criticize her. Pretty soon, we ended up with friction in our marriage. We realized that we were very immature in the Lord. We didn't take criticism very well. Well, there's a couple of scriptures here, but now I'm going to play it safe. See, we didn't have time for them. I was going to share two. I had three, and so I'm just going to share only two. One of them has to deal with Paul the apostle confronting another apostle, Peter. Paul says, I went up to his mug. I went to his face. I confronted him face to face. In front of everyone, I told him off. Because he was wrong. Wow. How can you confront Peter? Would you confront Peter? I wouldn't. And yet Paul confronted uh, Paul. Paul confronted Peter. Mary wasn't there. Anyway. (laughs) It's all right. It's okay. It's all right. Huh? And then there's another episode with, with, with a couple, a very humble couple, poor couple, by the name of Priscilla Aquila. Uh, when, when they were in Ephesus, they heard a young man from Alexandria. His name was Apollos. Smart, eloquent. He was a Harvard kind of a guy. Intellectual to the bone. Born in Alexandria. He was mighty and powerful in scriptures. But he had an incomplete gospel. What do you do? Do, do we correct him? I mean, he may not take correction because, you see, he's an educated individual. He has credentials. This man has an academia hookup. We're nobodies. We're, we're two entities that really don't matter. But So Priscilla and Aquila decided, let me take him to the side and correct him. Two of the others that I'm not going to mention is another one. is you find it in Exodus chapter 18. There's Moses, the big kahuna of Israel. He's the master blaster from Lancaster. 
He is there. But he falls in love with a lady by the name of Zipporah. Zipporah has a father who became Moses' father-in-law. His name was Jethro. Now, I don't take advice from anyone named Jethro. <laughs> Might be the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> but Jethro, a non-Jew, a Midianite, he sees something wrong. And he corrects Moses. Moses was a humble man. And he accepted that correction. And he heeded to the correction of his father-in-law. A very humble man. Another situation which I will not bring out. You find it in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You see, you have a, a lady by the name of Abigail. Abigail is a beautiful girl. We're told that in scripture. She's beautiful. Mm, beautiful. But she's married to a fool by the name of Nabal. He's a scoundrel. The worst scoundrel means he has no principles. And he likes to hit the bottle too. He was a scoundrel and David wanted some food for his men. You see, David has been protecting that area. And he thought it would be accordingly appropriate if I'm protecting you, if you can provide some food since you're rich and wealthy. So he sent some men to go get some food for David's men. So the man represented David, went to Nabal, and they asked Nabal, our Lord says, if you can spare some chump change and give us some food and what have you. And Nabal said, absolutely not. I won't give that rogue nothing at all. So they went back and they told David, he said nothing. He said, he ain't going to give you nothing. Ooh, David went crazy. I mean, crazy. Get 400 men, 400 men to, go, to just one, kill one guy. That's like getting a shotgun for a cockroach. What would you, why, why would you want to do that? And so the Bible says that David was speaking to himself. How can he do this to me? He was in hot anger. You ever been angry to the point where there's nothing but just hotness inside of you? And you're going to say, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to let him have it. I'm going to let him. You're tired. You're gone. You're, you're over the edge. That's it. You, you're the point of no return. You're gone. In the meantime, someone tells Abigail, David is coming to mess you. Your husband up. He's a scoundrel. He's a fool. And he's going to mess us all up. Abigail says, no, quickly, quickly, quickly. And she intervened. And she went and got a whole bunch of food supplies. Send them ahead of her. And then she went to meet David without Nabal knowing. And the Bible says that, that Abigail, she, she dismounted of her horse and immediately she, she, she projected an act of humility. She bowed down at the feet of David. He goes, no, my Lord, please, I beg of you, don't do that stupidity. She convinced him. She said, you're a man of God. Why would you lower yourself as a king, as a man of God to do this idiotcy? Why would you want to do that? God does not want you to do that. You're going to have a blemish in your record. Don't do that for the sake of my husband. He, 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 he's a crackhead. He's a junkie. It doesn't mean nothing. Don't, don't ruin your reputation. You know what David says? I would heed to your advice. I respect you. I believe that God sent you for me to stop this madness. He stopped. He says, you can go home. I would not kill your husband. I would not kill the man. Go home. So Abigail goes home. 
She tells her husband, he freaked out. And 10, day, 10 days later, the Bible says that God slayed Nabal. And the moment David heard that God has slain Nabal, recognizing and remember that Abigail was a beautiful girl, he goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. And he asked her to marry her and happy story. So those, those are the things that, that I want to share with you. But turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, would you please? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. How can you confront Peter? What, what, was, what was the issue here? Now, we find Paul and Peter. We find him here in verse 11. It says, now when Peter had come to Antioch. Antioch was now the hub of evangelism. I withstood him to his face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, meaning James, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And of course, uh, there were strict uh, uh, strict uh, Jews that, that Peter would, was eating with the Gentiles. Well, but when they came... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the what? The hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So what, what happened here is that Peter, now let me take you back. Peter, being a religious man, a religious and traditional cultural bigot. What I mean by that, you remember that being a Jew, he was not allowed, according to his culture, he was not allowed as a Jew to go inside the house of a non-Jew, a Gentile. The Bible says that God begins to speak to the first European convert. His name is Cornelius. He is a centurion. According to the word of God, he is the first European to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only him, but his whole household. You see, he had a vision. He was a good man, but something was missing. So the Bible says, I want you to go and call Peter. So in the meantime, Peter, who is down in Joppa, he's having a similar vision as Cornelius. And this vision is kind of odd. He's, he's hungry. It's 12 o'clock. He's hungry. And he sees a sheet coming in from heaven three times. And inside that sheet, there were all kinds of, of, of crawling animals and insects, things you do not eat. And he heard a voice. Peter, rise and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't eat that stuff, man. I'm a, I'm a Jew. And God says, what God has cleansed, you, you can no longer insult it anymore. So what was that all about? There's a, there's a knock at the door. There's a messenger for Cornelius. He says, Cornelius wants to see you. Goes, ah, I get it. So he goes to Caesarea. When he gets to Caesarea, he goes into the, to the house of Cornelius and he says this. You know, as a Jew, I can't go inside your house. That's true. But God has shown me that God is no respecter of persons. You see that? He understood that. He understand that God wanted to do something with the non-Jews. So Peter goes in there. Peter begins to ask, what do you want me here for? He goes, I don't know. God told me to send you. You call the shots. 
He goes, I perceive that God wants me to share with you the gospel. So he begins sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit interrupts him. That's Acts chapter 10. Interrupts him. And the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone. And then the non-Jews begin to speak in tongues. They were worshiping God. And the other Jewish guys that were with Peter were going, OMG. Wow. The same power is experiencing but the non-Jews. So the Bible says that Peter stood a couple of days with the Gentiles. Which means he has to eat. There he is, eating, eating ham sandwiches. He's eating Mexican sausage, chorizo. Chorizo's good, but don't ask what's in it. That's so he, he's having fellowship with these non-Jews. He's eating with them. Well, Jerusalem people, they hear about it and they call him on the carpet. In Acts chapter 15, they finally come to a conclusion. Hey, listen, the Gentiles are part of the covenant of God. So he got it. But something happened to Peter. Peter, fear came upon him. He heard that James, some of the people from James were coming. These were, were strict Jews. They still held on to the dietary laws. So it was a huge wall between the Gentile and the Jew. A wall that con- they contained linguistically, socially, culturally, and of course foods. And that wall was broken down through Jesus Christ. But something happened to Peter. Peter got carried away when he was eating. He was fellowshipping with the guys, the the non-Jews. They were just eating and fellowshipping and talking. And all of a sudden, they told, hey, Peter, some guys from Jerusalem are coming. And he started playing the hypocrite. He cleaned himself up. And he he started uh, uh, faking it like he was not part of them. It was so obvious that Peter was able to influence other Jewish Christians To the point that even Paul's partner, Barnabas, was also swept away in the hypocrisy. Paul the Apostle said, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't going to happen, man. That ain't going to happen. Because you see, what you're doing by your actions, you are basically making a statement that the church of Jesus Christ is divided. And the church of Jesus Christ is not divided. So he had to be confronted. There was here a lesson to be learned. And so we are told in verse 13, forgive me, verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straight up, they were not straightforward. The word is orthopodeo, like straight up. I like when people are straight up. Are you straight up? I'm straight up. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's going to hurt you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend than the, than the kisses of an enemy. I'm going to tell you the way it is. I have people in my life that tell me what it is. Without any apprehension. And that is my wife. Aye. She tells me like it is. Honey, can I share something with you? Oh. Here it comes. Yeah, you know, this is just to build you up, love. This is just to build you up, okay? And it's coming. I have five children. I have four adult children and one 17-year-old. These adult children, they, they don't mince their words. They tell me straight up, they said, Dad, why are you wearing that? That what? <laughs> Whatever you're wearing, that's, that's, what up? You look like a 60s guy. What, what, what's up with that? Don't match. Or sometimes they tell me that you, oh, Dad, your bread smells like a dog. <laughs> I mean, straight up. In, 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 there are people in my life that are welcome. 
they're, 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 I'm able to receive from them. But not only my wife, but uh, the church staff. They have access to me. Sure, there has to be a platform. You cannot come up with me and say, hey, let me tell you what's up. No, 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 no. There's a platform. There's, there's, a, there's a way to communicate, to convey uh, a dissension, to convey displeasure, to convey a correction. There's time for that. And, and so I hope and pray that if you're one of those persons, they say, nobody tells me what to do. You're not going to learn. You're not going to learn. Here we see an example from Peter. Peter, I mean, Peter could have said to Paul, you know who you're talking to? You know who you're talking to? I'm the, I'm the big guy from Italy, man. I, I, I walked on water. You walked on water? <laughs> we fed 5,000 people. Were you there? No, you weren't there, right? Were you there in the resurrection? Oh, I forgot. No, you weren't. You were a Pharisee. Yeah, you forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever raised anybody from the dead? I have. Have you? No, you haven't. No. You see, they can have a comeback. Who are you? But the Bible is silent. Which tells me that Peter accepted the criticism. Now, what is criticism? The act of criticizing, usually unfavorable, to find fault or blame, to denounce and condemn a strong disapproval. But here he told us that he stood him to his face. That's a classic confrontation. What is confrontation? A face-to-face meeting or encounter, especially a challenging or hostile one. Conflict between ideas, beliefs, opinions, or between the people who hold them. In my posture, my position as a pastor, look at me. I'm only 5'7". Eh, 5'6". See, I'm lying already. I'm 5'6 and a half. I have to confront people that are bigger than me. And all I have behind me is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I have to confront people. When people start talking things that are not biblical, I have to stand up. Sometimes as a pastor, I have to protect the sheep from false doctrine. From people that come into the church and start talking trash. I have to go up and confront Confrontation is never easy. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have to confront someone, sometimes I'm not even hungry because I'm so, uh, I feel so nauseated because I have to confront someone and tell, the, tell it the way it is straight up. Orthopodeo, straight up. I must be straight up with you. It's going to hurt. And there are people that don't, they don't receive. You see, the Bible says you, you, you rebuke a, a wise man and he will love you. But, but if you rebuke a fool, he will hate you or kill you. There are people who you know, you know that you cannot tell him anything. Don't correct him. Why? Ooh, he's going to go blow up on you. He don't take criticism from nobody. The Bible calls that kind of individual immature. You will never grow. In our marriage, I knew something had to happen. There had to be an intervention. See, growing up without a father, not being a Christian for a long time, I was born and I was raised biologically, culturally, socially into religion. I didn't choose this religion. I was born into it. Biologically, culturally, historically, traditionally. I was baptized as a little kid. That's what I'm told. I remember, but I was baptized. I do remember doing my necessary obligational rites by my first communion. And I've done all those things as the culture dictates to me. 
But that culture, religion, never taught me how to be a gentleman, how to be a husband, how to have a heart. It never taught me how to apologize. I never realized that I was full of pride. But it was in that cockiness pride. You see, for me, it was preservation. I didn't have anything else. All I had is a little bit of dignity, which I thought it was dignity, but it was pride holding me. I had nothing else. I had nothing else. So when I got married, my wife began to see that I had arrogance. But she told me, you're conceited. To be honest with you, being an immigrant, I didn't know what the word conceited was. But I remember responding, what do you mean conceited? I don't know what that means. What do you mean conceited? What is that? And my very actions were to, that's what you, you're conceited. Look at you. What? 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 <laughs> you're arrogant. And then I realized there has to be something else in my life. Because I couldn't, I couldn't understand correction. I got a little booklet. For the life of me, I don't remember the title. I've been searching for it. They're not my words. I imitated and I ate those words. I, ate, I begin to imitate those words. It was just a little booklet, How to Be a Listening Husband. And they have 12 words in there. 12 words that I like to leave with you if you're married. If you're not getting married, you better learn them fast because you may not ever find one. There are 12 words that I learned. The first three is, I'm sorry. See, if you have pride, those words cannot fit in your vocabulary. If you're full of arrogance and hubris, you, you cannot. Because it hurts to say, oh, it's my fault. <laughs> when you say, it's my fault, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I love you. Those are 12 words. And I read those words, and I couldn't wait to try them out at home, so I had to wait for a good, good argument. <laughs> so I don't know what happened, but I think I started it. <laughs> it was like four years into our marriage, three years into a marriage. My wife, she has a, 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 a temper, a Caribbean temper, you know what I mean? She, she's Puerto Rico race in East L.A. What a weird combination. <laughs> and so we got the hookup. We got married. Like I said, things are going to be okay. We're going to, you know, lovey-dovey. We're going to, we're going to, that's it. Well, we realized we had argument and tension. We're Christians. We receive the Lord. We have the love of Jesus. But man, the struggle. And this struggle happens in every area of our life. From the White House to the warehouse to the crack house, it's the same thing. Problem, people have pride and arrogance. And because they do not want to listen to advice, they don't want to listen to anyone, they end up making mistakes and mistakes for life. It happens in the army. It happens in the armed forces. It happens in, in, in the warehouse. It happens at work. It happens in Little League. It happens everywhere of our lives. This is why God hates pride. But yet equally, he loves humility. Humility is when you humble yourself. When we saw Abigail humbling. When we see Peter here receiving the, that very, very stern rebuke from Paul. He, just, he, he got the licking. He just stood there and he goes, absolutely, I'm wrong. It's a capitulation knowing that you're wrong. That takes humility. And you may think, well, that's humility is kind of like, uh, 
It's not acceptable in our society. Of course not. What, what God accepts is not what's acceptable in society in our culture. Our culture says, leave that chick, man. Forget her. Don't tell her what to do. But Christ says, humble yourself. And he will exalt you. Have the mind of Christ who humble himself. Think of others first before you think of yourself. You see, that's, that's, not, that's not natural. That's a supernatural action. It's not natural for you to think of others. The first thing you think about yourself is me, myself, and I. The Holy Spirit of greed. Me, myself, and I. And once you come to Jesus Christ, you see, something should happen to you where you begin to think of other people. Especially the ones you love. I begin to have an argument with my wife. And it was up there, it was heated up. Be quiet. No, you be quiet. Um, let me tell you why. I should have married you. You should have married me. You should have married me. And all that. And I waited. And I waited. And I said, Emil, what? I'm sorry. What? Ah. Uh, I'm sorry. I was wrong. My fault. I love you. Okay? I'm sorry. She went inside her room. She came back outside. What are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? What, what is this? I don't want to fight anymore. You see, Millie, the Bible says any fool can start a fight. But it takes a wise man to stop one. <laughs> right there and then, around 25 years ago, we made a covenant with each other. A real one, as believers. I will never be angry with you more than five minutes. We have lived up to it. After you realize after five minutes, what fools are we to do this? We're going to act like little children. Don't speak to me. I won't speak to you. Get your own coffee. I'll get my own coffee. We're adults. We're children. How idiotic can that be? Our children have seen how we interact. And now my married children are taking that to their marriage too. Where there's arguments, immediately humble yourself. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Like I shared with you, nobody likes to be criticized. No one. I remember Acts chapter 18, verse 24. I remember distinctly at a baptism at the local swimming pool. It's a plunge. We call it the plunge. There was a swimming pool that was built in Montebello back in 1922. That's what they call it, the plunge. It's a real plunge. And, and it's used by a lot of Hollywood people to, to use that scene for the 1920s and 30s. They're always there. The plunge is used, and that's the only pool we have in all Montebello. By the way, the word Montebello means beautiful mountain in Italian. It sounds beautiful, Montebello. But I, this is, we're in the ghetto. We're in East Los Angeles. <laughs> this sounds beautiful. Where are you at? Montebello. Seems it's kind of cover things up. But we're in Montebello plunge, and, and uh, we had a baptism. And what, what we do as a church, we rent the whole facility for three or four hours. We baptize, we sing, we have food. But the local people want to go in there and the church is holding it up. So here's what we do to accommodate the community from getting angry at us. We'll tell them, look, we'll open the pool, it's free, and plus we have food for you, so hang tight. 
So after we baptized everyone, around my neck, it was a whistle, a regular whistle that the, the referees uh, use in basketball, a regular whistle like that. And so after we baptized the last person, I, I closed it with prayer, and I started blowing the whistle real loud, real loud, notifying the people, okay, the pool is open, but unbeknown to me, in lifeguard code, that's 911. <laughs> I didn't know that. So every lifeguard comes out, out of their cars, out of their offices, and they all go in running. What's going on? What's going on? And after they realized there was just a false alarm, all eyes of the lifeguards came upon me. <laughs> Is that fool right there? A 17-year-old girl who's a supervisor, she's the lead lifeguard, Came up to me and gave me the right act. You know what? In front of everyone. Now, I could have said, hey, 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 you know what? We rented this place and we rented you. If it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have a little part-time job, girl. I said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? But you see, I realized I was wrong. I realized right there and then she had authority. And I understood that she had the responsibility. She was in charge and command of that ship. That was her ship. And I was just a visitor on that ship. And she was the captain. I realized right then and then. And all I could do is, is muster as much as I could my humility. And I said, I am so sorry. I was so stupid. I was so dumb. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said it. I know. I am saying it for you. I'm so sorry. I, I, I am so sorry. I said so much sorry that she began to feel sorry for me. That's oh, okay. You know, so everybody becomes an idiot once in a while. But, but it's okay. She rebuked me. The word rebuke means to, to criticize or reprimand. She admonished me to warn me, to caution. She reproved me. Even Jesus scolded his disciples. But there's an English word. I love English. I'm learning English so much. I love English. But there's a word called upbraided. That's an English word, upbraided. The word in Mark 16, 14 says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. You know that's English. And upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed him not when they had seen him after he was risen. The word upbraided means to criticize or to scold somebody in a harsh manner. Jesus, I mean, on the resurrection, on the day of the resurrection, you, you would not read that. On the day of the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them. He goes, he scolded, you shouldn't believe me. On the day of the resurrection, when have you ever heard a message on the resurrection of Jesus rebuking his disciples for their unbelief? You know what King David said? This is what King David said in Psalm 141 verse 5. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be kindness, and let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. You see, David would not resist the rebuke of the righteous people. He interpreted that if you're righteous and you want to criticize me, God is using you to make me a better person. If you're a righteous person, you have something to share with me. David said, I'll gladly accept that as if it was, it was oil. Because your rebuke, your admonishment, you upbraided me and you're a righteous man, a righteous woman. I will receive from you 
because God is sending me a message through you. And that's what we see here, the humility. Sometimes, you, sometimes in criticism, you have to find out who is the source. You got to ask this question. Who is criticizing me? Now, if you're a supervisor, if you're in any way directing traffic in the mass of humanity, whenever you direct traffic in the social circles, you are, uh, uh, you're going to be criticized. The moment you become a supervisor, the moment you become the team mom of the soccer team, the moment you, t- you get, take a place of responsibility, criticism will come. Someone said, you don't like criticism? Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. But when you become a father, when you become a husband, you become a wife, you become a mother, in whatever station in life, criticism is going to come. You need to decipher the following. What kind of criticism is it? Is it instructive? Is it destructive? What kind of criticism is instructive, destructive? What kind is it? If it's destructive, you got to pray for people. If it's instructive, you, you, you got to take it to the Lord. As David said in Psalm 26, Lord, you examine me. You examine my heart. Because I've been criticized for a lot of things. Some people say, you have an accent. Well, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing I, there's nothing I can do about that. And I say, you're bald. Duh, I know. <laughs> there's nothing I can do about that. But you always think you're right. Ah, oh, maybe I can change that. Maybe I need to adjust my character, my behavior. So here's another case in verse 24, chapter 18. He says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord. And here's the problem, an incomplete gospel, though he knew only the baptism of John. So here we have a, an intellectual problem here. This man is from Alexandria. Alexandria was the second most important city in the empire of the Roman Empire. Alexandria, they had a huge university. They had a library with 6,000 volumes. There's the intellectual center of the Jewish nation apart from Palestine. He is mighty in scriptures. He's eloquent. He's a spokesman. He knows how to speak well. He knows how to deliver. Uh, uh, he's an orator. He is, he is credentialized. But he's sharing an incomplete gospel. He's sharing only the baptism of John. And there you have a, a humble couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. They're, 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 they're just non-entity people. We call them in California people, swap meet people. They go into swap meet and they sell and they barter and they do all this thing. And, and so it's a, kind of a, like a lower class kind of people. So here's Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila could have said, ah, poor thing. Look at that. He, he's so smart. He's so eloquent. But it's an incomplete message. They could have just walked away. But the Bible says they took him to the side. And they did a little clicking and a little tweaking. They go, hey, listen, we're nobody, but you're sharing something that is incomplete. Would you receive from us? Let us share with you the whole enchilada here. We can tell you everything. Notice this. 
So he began to speak, verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Again, his response would have been one of arrogance. You have a degree? No, no, we're just tent makers. Oh, you're just tent makers. You, you don't have education? No. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. You ever been to Alexandria? No. You ever been to the library? No. You have a computer? No, I'm neither we. I'm either. <laughs> I mean, he could have gotten very arrogant in his response. Like many people are arrogant. Oh, one time in Southwest Airlines. I don't know if you're familiar with Southwest Airlines. They don't assign a seat. Third world country. First come, first serve. At least it was now, and that's different. But back in the days. So they closed, they closed the, 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 that's it. No more. You're late. If you come, you're late. So now people are standby. They get the, they, they get the seats. And a guy rushes in. A guy comes in late, huffing and puffing. He comes in. He's just all dressed up. Alligator shoes, Italian tie. Uh, one of those $900 shoes. He's just there. And he's in. <sighs> My name is always all got it. I'm sorry, sir. He says, we're sold out. That's it. He was so angry, he kept pounding. He says, what do you mean? We sold out, sir. You're late. Your tickets were given to someone else that were on the waiting list. You're late. He kept pounding. He goes, you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Without missing a beat, the lady went, we have a gentleman here who's lost. He doesn't know who he is. Does anybody know who he is? Talk about humiliation. All of us swap me people are going, yeah, yeah, that's what you get. Get your little alligator shoes and go United. Get out of here. Get out of here. You see, my friends, humility, as God says, listen, God says to you and I, if you humble yourself, the act of submitting yourself to God, and you humble yourself in an attitude like Abigail, like Apollos, like Peter, like Moses. You will go places because the Bible says that if you humble yourself, that God will lift you up. Understand that principle. It works at work. It, it works everywhere. Take the high road. Take the high road. There's a bunch of gangsters in L.A. bunch of gangsters. They like to mad dog you. That's what we call it, mad dog you. Anybody you know what mad dogging is? Mad dogging is when they pinpoint you, they look at you. I'm gonna look at you. Please forgive me if I'm mad dogging. But this is what they do. They they lock eyes on you and they're mad dogging you. What up? What up? What up? You in your pride, you go, What up, dog? What? What? And this now you're now, now this is it. Like, let's let's get it on. And we are told not to rank out. When somebody mad dogs you, and if you rank out, word's going to go around that you're a ranker. So I tell our guys, a bunch of gangsters that now are at church, rank out. That's hard, Pastor. You know, I never rank out or anything like that. Rank out. You go, what's up? The guy just turns his head. Yeah, that's right. Turns his head. I said, throw him a parting shot. Just tell him, I'm sorry, man. 
Oh, pastor, I cannot do that, man. Homeboys don't do that, man. We don't do that kind of stuff. I said, I'm not asking, I'm not asking a homeboy to do it. I'm asking a son of the living God, a child of God to do that. And they do it. You see, some of our guys who come from the gangs in our church, a bunch of them, they're still dressed like a gangster. They say things like, Pastor, they're after me, man. They're after me, man. You know, I don't know what to do. I said, well, change the uniform, man. You got a uniform on. Change it. What, what should I wear? Wear a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> wow. Who's going to mess with you? I said, I can't wear. I mean, that's humiliating. I'm not going to wear a Hawaiian shirt. I mean, I said, put it on. And if you ever go to our church, you see a bunch of homeboys tattooing their neck and their face. And they're, they're tattooed on. They have a Hawaiian shirt. Why? Because no one's going to come up to them. Where are you from? You go, aloha. No problem, brother. No worries. Hang ten. No problem. They'll leave you alone. But it takes a lot for someone to humble themselves. My friends, all I'm asking you to consider, that if you're one of those people that have a lot of pride, you may have credentials, you may be eloquent, intellectual like Apollos, you may have authority like Moses, you, you may be powerful as David, or you may have all the knowledge as Peter and experience, but if you don't have the humility, you will never be corrected. And it's going to tear you up. Tear you up. We find here the humility of such individuals here. All of a sudden, Apollos has been tweaked for the better. And all I'm saying to you as we close, all I'm saying to you is to be open for correction. No one is above correction. Ask yourself, who will be the best people that know you? And able to correct you because they know you. Well, first of all, your spouse, your wife, your husband. And then your children. And then your own parents, they know you. Your own siblings, they know you. And then there's two other sets of people. Guess who that would be? You spend 40 hours a week with them. Your coworkers. They see you in good times and bad times. They know how you walk on Mondays. They know. They've seen you for 40 hours. 40, 50 hours they see you. Also, your neighbors see you. Now, if your neighbors and your co-workers cannot criticize you on certain things, be open for them. No one's above correction. But always put the humility. Always. Everywhere, those 12 words, man, those 12 words. One time, I, I was at a, I, I, I did a funeral, and I went to eat. At a local place called Lupi's. And it's an old traditional. It's a beautiful, good traditional tacos. Oh, man. Shh. So I stopped there on the, on the way from the cemetery to the church. And as I was eating, there, there was, there was a, a thug and a gangster. We call them OGs. Old gangsters. He's all tatted down. Just, so... I got my food, and I reached out to get salt, and I bumped him. I just bumped him. 
you don't bump a homeboy. You don't touch him. And the first, in, the first instant that came out of my mouth was, please forgive me. And I felt so dumb. Oh, please forgive me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and goes, please forgive me. Where are you from? Please forgive me. I said, I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't, I'm sorry. I meant, I am so sorry. No, it's all right, man. It's all right. Where are you from? That's not a threatened question. It is, it, it'll be, where are you from, man? That's threatened. Where are you from? I said, I'm from Montebello, man. I just did a funeral. Oh, you, what are you, a pastor? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Hey, can I ask you a question? There you go. My sister, you know, she's a Christian. And uh, she's going to church right here at Calvary Chapel Montebello. <laughs> said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I know the guy. <laughs> How is he? He's all right. <laughs> He's okay. He's all right. And uh, he says, tell me. And I begin to share with him. Just... But you see, what I'm trying to tell you is that that door wouldn't have been open if God would not allow me to just use that phrase, please forgive me. That's what startled him. See, that broadcast to him that I'm not a regular guy from the street. No one in the hood ever talks like that. Please forgive me. So that alerted his mind, his conscience that there's someone here that's different. And I'm no different than him other than the fact that I became a Christian and God is doing a work in my life. So I began to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. I go, you should join your sister. You should join your sister. Go. Go invite. The following Sunday, I made an altar call. And the guy comes forward. He goes, you dog. You dog. I said, hey, whatever it takes, man. Welcome to the family of God. So you see, time is not on my side this morning. But I wonder... Do you have pride? Oh, Lord Jesus. The Bible says again through Jesus Christ. If you humble yourself, he says, I will exalt you. And here it is. Check this out. But if you exalt yourself, I will humble you. What choice do you have? Humble yourself. Let him exalt you. Because you're going to go out there, you know, cocky and arrogant. And then you're going to fall down so bad. It's not worth it. Humble yourself. Perhaps you're here this morning. You have never received the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. You see, pride is the inhibitor that prohibits you from coming to Jesus. Two things, actually. Ignorance and pride. Now that you don't have ignorance, now that you know that Jesus can make that for you, now it's just the other element, pride. That's what helped me from coming to Jesus. The man said, if you need Jesus Christ, come forward. I said, I ain't going forward. Nobody makes me go forward. Nobody makes me. That's not getting up. Nobody makes me go forward. Nobody makes me go forward. I got up and I went forward. Kept talking. Nobody makes me do this. I went forward. I realized it was a supernatural activity. What the Bible says, the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. And I know in hindsight, that's what God did in my life. He convicted me of my sin. And I realized that pride was prohibiting me from coming into the kingdom of God. You're here today. Maybe there's none of you. Maybe just one of you. I don't know. But I only have like around three minutes left on my time. (laughs) If you would like to receive Jesus Christ, 
and you would like me to pray for you right now, do not let pride hold you. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ, if you want me to pray for you right now, would you please stand? Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.